where liberty is our mission. Today is Tuesday, August 5th, 2014, and this is podcast number 378. My name is Ben Stone. I may not release this podcast today. It'll probably be a few days before it gets out. I'm off in the remote regions of of western Missouri, and uh, internet connection and phone and things like that are uh, uh, not all that dependable. But uh, but I did want to do this podcast today um, specifically because the guest that is with me today uh, was at Porkfest and there was a sort of a debate thing that took place that uh, that he was in on and it was in reference to the topic of chemtrails and I know this is a kind of a hot topic and it's kind of a thing where people get their emotions up a little bit over it but I, I I'm pretty certain that uh, the guest I have today, we can talk about this uh, in a non-emotional way and and maybe shed some light on it. So enough of the mystery. My guest is my friend, Jim Babb. Jim, welcome to the Bad Quaker Podcast again. Hello. It's great to be with you, sir. And it was great to uh, to see you again at, at Porkfest and get to uh, you know talk to you a little bit and so forth. We got to do a Freedom Fiend show together. That was fun. It was great. And oh, and uh, should mention your daughter's accomplishment too. She won the uh, the contest there for her great idea. Yeah, Dorothy did a good job in the Agoras pitch, and you know, Porkfest is such a fabulous environment for children. I don't know, you know, I think that kind of gets lost because you hear about the the big gay dance parties and the, you know, it sort of comes across as like this hedonist, uh, you know, hippie fest in the woods, but it is a fantastic environment for all ages. And, uh, you know, I'm all for, you know, hedonism and hippies in the woods, but, uh, <laughs> but it is a, what I couldn't ask for a better environment for, for my kids. Um, you know, what a loving environment that it, it encourages entrepreneurism and, and independence and, uh, just a fantastic time for the whole family. You know, I, th- I think that's a point that is understated. Uh, these, these people like Reason Magazine or whoever comes out and gives some, some, uh, you know, some print time to Porkfest, it always seems like they go for the freak aspect. They, they find the weirdest looking person that they can find and try to film them. They try to find something that's, you know, completely, uh, outside of the norm of society and they try to focus on it. But the vast majority of people at Porkfest were, uh, oh, and here's the other thing. This comment is made all the time. It's like, oh, well, most of those people are just, you know, um, uh, most of the people in the liberty movement in in whole are just males and they're single males or they're, you know, and that's just not true. You go to Porkfest, almost everybody there was in couple form. There were single people there. There were single males and single females. But the vast majority of people there were couples, and mostly, I think, 
probably uh, had children, or at least a large portion of them had children. Yeah, and there's awesome programming for kids, too. There's the Kid Olympics. There was a Kid Agorist event where kids could sort of come together in, in a marketplace environment. Um, and everywhere you go, people just love the kids. You know, they just they just adore seeing kids thriving in this environment. And, you know, as as a parent, it's just I, I feel great about bringing my children there. I've been taking my kids to Pork Fest since 2007. Um, you know, they've they've gone every year and it's their favorite part of the summer. You know, we do a lot of fun things over the summer. But every time I say, well, what's the best thing? What's the most fun thing? It's always Pork Fest. Yeah. Uh, and our, our topic, without wasting too much time yapping about how much fun we had at Porkfest, our, <laughs> our, our topic today is going to be about chemtrails, but it's not really about chemtrails. Mostly, we're going to be talking about critical thinking, logic, skepticism, and to a certain extent, like like if you have something really bold to tell someone, if you have like some concept that you're trying to get across or some some storyline that's very difficult for the average person to believe we're going to talk about um how not to portray that topic and how to instead give that topic in a way that you've given a person a reason to believe it, not just, you know, accept this on faith because I know what I'm talking about. And and that's the thing with chemtrails. Um, I hate to say it, but every single time someone attempts to show me the perfect evidence for chemtrails, it's always the same loose, illogical, unrelated, unscientific you know, some old lady pointing at the sky in New Zealand is not going to convince me of of chemtrails. Somebody, you know, who took a sample off their back porch and then tried to convince me it came out of an airplane, that's not scientific. That is not in any way scientific. Um, and I don't have to have, like, 100% absolutely proved to me, I, you know, what I want to have is some kind of evidence that is real and genuine evidence not just, you know, some radio host uh, hyping things as much as possible and then trying to sell me some weird tonic that's going to cure all my ills or whatever. Um, so, Jim, when I was listening to the debate the debate from, from Porkfest, um, I, 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 I hate to say it, I could only sit through about a half an hour of it, and it's like if you can't give me your best thing right up front, you know, uh, then you probably have nothing. And that uh, the person you were talking to seemed intelligent and, and seemed reliable and seemed like she really believed what she was saying, but she couldn't lay out her best evidence up front. And literally within a half an hour, she just lost me and I just turned it off because it was like, you're not telling me anything. You're, you're, you're throwing out speculations. You're using half science. You're not really giving me anything. And you said something in that in that early on. You said if you have something extraordinary you have to have extraordinary evidence. And I think this is really critical when, when trying to explain someone, uh, explain to someone, uh, a topic that's really complicated or that's really, uh, that takes a, you know, a real leap of the imagination. You have to lay your best argument out right away. And, and it has to be, if you're, if you're just saying, if it's three o'clock in the morning and you say it's going to be light in a few hours, that's not a real big stretch of the imagination. But if it's 3 o'clock in the morning and you say, 
we have a very special event. It's going to be light in five minutes. Then it's going to take something spectacular for that to, you know, to, to back that up, like it being light at three o'clock in the morning. So when you bring evidence of something like chemtrails, you need to lay out the very best thing you have and you need to, and you need to bring out, um, something spectacular to show that it's real. And, and I think the other th- critical thing that happened in that interview that you did, I mean, in, in that, uh, uh, debate that you had with her, her, her best argument, so to speak, was that governments are evil and they'll do evil things. But Jim, you and I already believe that. I mean, you said, you made the statement, look, these are people who burn children to death with an atomic bomb. I don't put anything past them. I would believe any level of evil that they do. So don't try to convince me there's chemtrails because the government is evil. Convince me there's chemtrails because here's some actual evidence. Now that was a lot of me blabbering, but, but Jim, Take over there and tell me what your thoughts on those things are. Well, I agree with everything you've said, and I think my position on this is uh, it's captured. There's a there's a great Isaac Asimov quote, and he said, "I believe in evidence. I believe in observation, measurement, and reasoning confirmed by independent observers. I'll believe anything, no matter how wild and ridiculous, if there is evidence for it." The, the wilder and more ridiculous something is, however, the firmer and more solid the evidence will have to be. And I think that's a very logical position to, to start from. And when we come to, when it comes to chemtrails, you know, the first thing I'll say is, I don't know if it's real or not. I just haven't seen the evidence. So I'm, I'm willing to, to keep an open mind. Is it, is it possible? Well, anything's possible. But just show me the show me the evidence. And after asking and asking and asking and for for years, my Facebook page gets plastered with people's stories and pictures of contrails. And they're just it just got so out of hand. I had to eventually say, guys, come on, you know, like <laughs> this is just this is this is completely ridiculous, um, you know, either either get some evidence or, you know, or please, you know, just, just stop with all of this, um, just this, this non-evidence that gets pushed around. Um, and the, the headlines always proof, chemtrails proof, finally the proof. And it's, and it's like a patent that somebody filed in 1968 for like, for a sounding rocket or something. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's exactly what I found, you know, um, and I, and I really think that it comes from, you know, uh, the vast majority of public schools have for a hundred years now systematically and I believe intentionally taught children not how not to think. They have they, in, instead of teaching them critical thinking skills, teaching them the basics of skeptic, uh, skeptical, you know, observation, instead of teaching them logic, they have essentially taught them to sit in front of a television and just believe whatever's handed to you. And that's what the government wants. That's what the system, the whole worldwide system that depends on government, that's what they want. They want people who don't think. They want people to believe stuff based on shaky evidence. And so if if your brain is like that, you'll accept, oh, yes, we have to go to war with Iraq because they have the weapons of mass destruction. And you'll just accept anything that's handed to you if it's handed in the right way. 
And that, and for us, for people who are liberty minded, I think it's absolutely critical that we not be vulnerable to that, that we be able to, you know, analyze something, use a little bit of a skeptic's eye and say, is this really evidence? Is, you know, like, like one of the really super convincing things that I saw for chemtrails was a, a YouTube video of the interior of a big plane with these tanks and pumps and stuff in there. And there, at one moment, there's a, there's a close up of one of the tanks and you can actually see a number on it. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, what is that number? And so I did a Google search on the number and it's a, it's a patent number for a uh, fire control system. So what you're actually looking at is the interior of a fire, uh, firefighting uh, airplane that's set up uh, to fight fires and, and spray that orange chemical or whatever that they spray all over the fire uh, with. Now, could that be used to spray these magical, you know, chemtrails with? Sure, it could be. Um, but is it? Is somebody, you know, you have some, the, the, the old thing with like the Kennedy uh, assassination conspiracies. People say, well, if somebody if that was really a conspiracy, then somebody would come forward. And then somebody starts listing the number of people that have come forward and started to talk about it and then drop dead, shot in the face in the middle of a park or just vanished or whatever. And you start to realize that, yeah, there were a lot of people that were involved in the conspiracy that came forward and are now dead. And so that's actual, you know, that's something, it's not proof that Kennedy was assassinated for political reasons within the government or whatever that, you know, that LBJ did it or, or whatever. That doesn't prove that, but it certainly supports it in a, in a better way than just saying, sure, there's all these people that are in on the chemtrail thing and none of them are talking. That's a, that's a, or the people that say that they are insiders to it, like like you said, you know they oh they they have uh, they worked in a warehouse where where stuff was delivered. Well, that doesn't mean anything. And then somebody wants to talk about magnetic aluminum, uh, you know, microscopic magnetic aluminum <laughs> particles. Really? I mean, wow. magnetic aluminum. Um, because all 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 things are affected by magnetic fields. But the but you but you can't magnetize aluminum. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's hoaxer sites on the Internet that say that you can, but they also say you can magnetize water. Well, no, what you're actually doing is you're magnetize high iron content in water, but you're not magnetizing water because it's not ferrous and you're not going to magnetize aluminum because it's not ferrous. It is not. You know, there's there's a disconnect from reality that these people leap into. It's and it's just really I think it's harmful to the whole movement. Well, I think there's you know, I'd love to hear a psychologist weigh in on it. But I think there's this sort of psychological need that people have to feel like they know something that the that the public doesn't know, you know, that that they know the real truth and therefore they're special. And everybody else is therefore inferior because they don't know, you know, what we know. <laughs> and I, I don't know what really motivates it, but people want to believe, you know, they they look at this and like, oh, I really want to believe that. So when they hear somebody say, well, I work for the government and I saw some stuff delivered and I don't know what it was for. They're like, well, there's my proof. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or they say, well, gosh, look, there was a person on TV that speculated that 
we should do some geoengineering to keep to cool the planet. I saw him on Colbert Report. There's my proof. <laughs> you know, that's the way they think. Or well, well, Monsanto has a patent for aluminum resistant plants. Like, there's my proof. Like, every, it's just one thing after another. You know, completely unrelated. But when you want to believe, now that becomes the proof. Yeah. So. I don't know. And, and I see that in other fields, too. You know, like, I mean, look at somebody like Obama, who, when he was running for office, you know, was basically telling people, you know, I'm going to go bomb them in Afghanistan better than that other guy. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And yet the people wanted to believe he was a peace candidate. They wanted it so badly. They wanted to believe in, in, a, in, a, in a guy that was going to end these terrible wars that they just fabricated in his mind. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that, you know, but despite the fact that he's telling them, I'm going to go kill those people, <laughs> he said it. So uh, not exactly in those words, but that's, you know, he was he was explicit about it. Or or Rand Paul, when Rand Paul says, I'm not a libertarian, I'm not running naked in the woods with pot. <laughs> people still say, well, he's our libertarian candidate. Wrong. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Isn't that and this? I'll, I'll, I'll get some some more hate mail coming in, in for this one uh, just for saying this. But but Ron Paul himself has stated very clearly that he is not an anarchist, and that the main reason that he's not an anarchist is that he can't overcome the secure his words the security issue. Now, whether he was talking about you know need, the need for military or the need for police, it's pretty much the same argument one way or the other. But Ron Paul said this. And it doesn't matter that he said that. It doesn't matter that he was very clear about it. Still, people listen to his final speech on the House floor and his little hints towards the zero aggression principle, and they make the, the leap of faith that really he is an anarchist. He just doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to come right out and say it because that scares people away. And the opposite is the truth. He's not an anarchist. He has said clearly he is not an anarchist, and yet people want to believe so badly that he's one of us that they will that they will wipe that part out in their mind and they'll actually sit and listen to where he says he's not an anarchist and they'll still say well you know but that's just a, and and they'll make excuses and and it's mind-boggling to see how hard people want to believe something and the and the distance they'll that they'll go in order to fulfill that desire so you know how do we know we're not victims of that i guess you know it's easy to see that in other people but you know, I guess it's 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 even harder to try to identify those traits in ourselves sometimes. It, it probably is, and you know that's one of the things I have to I have to give some credit to my daughter, uh, to Kai. Um, she is really good at asking me questions to find things that I believe, and then turning that around right into my face and forcing me to to really analyze whether I believe it or not. Well, that's the way to do it. And, you know, that's that's a that's a good good person to have in your life, somebody that can help do that for you with you. Yeah. One thing I wanted to address was something that was in the uh, the early part of that debate. Um, the person claimed that they had taken an air sample and that the air sample came back with these certain traces. And uh, and she even said in the thing that you have to be specific what you're looking for. You can't just hand something to a lab and say what's in this. You have to say check for you know uh, uh, products A, B, C, and D, or you have to say look for these elements or whatever. They have to know specifically what to look for. They can't. There, there. It's it's not a laboratories. 
don't function the way I think most people think laboratories function. The, uh, most people think that you give a sample to a laboratory and then they give you an analysis that shows everything that's in that sample. And labs just don't work like that. You you give them a sample of something and they'll and, and you tell them, I'm looking for these 10 items. And then they will specifically do tests for those 10 items. And they'll tell you if they found them and, and in what quantity that they found them. And so her argument was that she had taken an air sample and it contained these certain things. Therefore, it came from a chemtrail. And to think of this in a similar way, if you look at the air around you and just imagine that instead of it being air, it's water. Um, because even though water uh, is to to our perception, it is thicker, it's more of substance, it's 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 more real to us than air because you can touch it and feel it. And we don't feel air. But the fact of the matter is air is exactly like water in the sense that it is a it is a soup of chemicals one of with water one of which is this stuff that we call you know uh, uh, water it's oxygen and and uh, hydrogen in a, a a specific combination but if you look at an ocean that's a soup of all kinds of chemicals and that's even when it's untouched and in a natural state. That's not even counting boats driving through it, spreading chemicals, you know, through their exhaust and so forth. So the air that we breathe is exactly like that, except it lacks H2O in the quantities that it exists in the ocean. Air is literally a broth of, of chemicals. All air on the earth is. And it varies, and, it, and it's constantly moving. It, it doesn't stay, air never stays in the same place. There are uh, waves in, in air, just like there are waves in water. There are streams in air, just like there are streams in water. And there are areas in air that sit relatively still. And when they move, we're talking about a hundred, the equivalent of a hundred million acres of air slightly moving all at the same time together. It's not at all the way most people think of. So if you imagine if there was a if you were standing on a shoreline and you could look out across the ocean and see a boat 10 miles away, if you could do that. And if you could look at that boat driving by and you had good enough binoculars or whatever, and you could see details on that boat and you could see a guy off the back of the boat taking a whiz into the ocean as the boat drives across in front of you. And if you walked out to the, to the edge of the ocean, which is 10 miles from the boat, and you scooped up a water sample and you took it to a laboratory and you said, test this for these chemicals, which I know to be in urine, you know, ammonia and, and whatever. So the, the lab tests the chemicals from the sample you gave them. Um, and it comes up that it has ammonia, and several other key chemicals that you expect to be in urine. You wouldn't logically say, well, it's from that guy whizzing in the ocean 10 miles away on that boat. You wouldn't make that leap of faith. That would be silly. And yet that's what we do when you look up in the sky and you see something traveling at 50,000 feet in the air and you see something coming out of it. And for you to take an, a sample on the ground of air... It would and assume that what's in that sample is coming out of that plane. 
you're making the same leap in faith that you could look across the ocean 10 miles and see a boat and assume that the that the water that you're sampling where you're at is contaminated by the exact chemicals that you expect to be coming out of that boat without any evidence of actually knowing what's coming out of the boat. <laughs> no, but it, it's a it's one of the key disconnects because when you hear these people um you know they're the closest thing they come to evidence are these ground-based samples. Mm-hmm. You know, and and sometimes even the 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 skeptics sort of get wrapped up into well, what's a normal level of aluminum or what's not? <laughs> You're not testing what's coming out of a plane, so who cares? Right, right. Uh, because you know, let's let's be honest about it. There is microscopic parts of aluminum uh, coming out of air out of jet exhausts because you have this massive engine that's turning at a really high speed. That means there's ball bearings. That means there's races. There's there's uh, uh, all kinds of metal in there that you're doing everything you can to keep it from having direct metal-to-metal contact. So you're using lubricants. And these lubricants contain all kinds of chemicals. But no matter what you do, and and the body of the engine itself is made out of uh, all kinds of different metals. You have aluminum, you have magnesium, you have you know uh, steel, and you have nickel, and you have manganese you have all these different chemical uh, yeah these different substances that are used to make the the engine itself then you have the engine whizzing around in circles at an unbelievably fast speed you're pouring jet fuel into it which is really not that clean to begin with so the engine is ingesting uh, a soup of chemicals in the form of fuel it's sucking in a soup of chemicals in the form of ambient air that's just out there floating around that's been through factories and everything else that it that is spewing pollution into the atmosphere so it's ingesting massive quantities of air and a lot of jet fuel and it's running it through that engine at unbelievably high temperatures and tiny little microscopic parts of aluminum and magnesium and titanium and steel and all this stuff is coming off of the interior of that engine constantly. That's what wear is. Wear is parts of the engine coming apart on a microscopic level and going out the exhaust. So technically, yes, every single jet engine is spewing aluminum into the atmosphere along with iron and nitrogen and, and you know, just... All that stuff is in the exhaust of every single uh, jet engine. But does that mean that chemtrails are real? Of course not. you you got to have something uh, of real substance if you're going to make that kind of a claim. Of course. And, you know, I actually have an idea for an experiment that people could do if they really want to know what's in a chemtrail. And I believe this could be done for less than the cost of the next G. Edward Griffin documentary, uh, where what if you pointed a telescope at a what you think is a chemtrail and you measured the light coming through it and did a spectroscopic analysis? Bingo. And then you point off to the side where there is no chemtrail or contrail measure that light and do a comparison as far as i know you should be able to get a uh, uh, an absorption pattern that tells you what those elements of that trail are um now maybe somebody that's a, a better scientist than i am which wouldn't be hard could tell me why that won't work but uh, wouldn't that be at least 
a, a semblance of an experiment? <laughs> Uh, you'd need to add one more thing to that. You'd need to add uh, a, the the same analysis of a contrail that you know is not a chemtrail. Exactly. So yeah. it, so it would take three tests: one of the suspected chemtrail, one of ambient air where there is no trail at all, and one where it's a a contrail where you know it's not a chemtrail. Which all you'd have to do for that, um, you can actually make a contrail with a prop driven. Uh, uh, airplane. I, th- I think a lot of people don't realize that too. Uh, Prop-driven di- airplane at the right elevation will make a contrail. As a matter of fact, sure. your car makes a, contra- a contrail in the morning on a cold morning when you start it. That's that's essentially what that white stuff coming out of the exhaust of the car is when it's when you very first start it up. Um, so so yeah, that that as far as I know, that would be a really cheap. Really easy way to say there's something coming out of plane A that is not coming out of plane B and is not naturally in the atmosphere. Now, I have brought this up to various chemtrail believers in the past, and what do you think their response to that is? Oh, my. I don't know. They get mad. (laughs) (laughs) They start getting angry. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you know, because you're you're starting to get close to something, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and they're... There, you know, since it's an emotionally, it's an emotional conclusion, they can only respond in an emotional way when that conclusion is challenged. That is really telling. You know, I, I talk about faith a lot of times and the existence or non-existence of God. And I think, uh, and I don't get mad about that. You know, if somebody can prove to me there is a God, I really want to see that information. And if somebody can prove there is not a God... I really want to see that information, but I'm not going to get angry one way or the other. And and I think um, that that's a telling sign when when you're talking to somebody about the existence or non-existence of God, and they get angry or get super emotional one way or the other. Um, I think it means that they that that they themselves really somewhere in their mind are realizing that it's purely faith and it's not fact and you know you you can like you can believe because you've gone out in the woods and you've run through the woods and you've jumped across a particular creek enough times that you can have faith and say if i run through this woods and i jump across that creek i can jump across that creek because i've done it you know 500 times and i can do it now and so that kind of faith is is very realistic it is still faith i still believe i can do it uh, but it's not proven until you go out and do it again. And even then, you you say, well, I think I can do it again. I have faith that I can do it again. So that faith is the belief that's based on something, based on previous evidence that that this could be done and that you can do it. But to imagine in your mind that I can jump off a cliff and walk in, you know, in the middle of the air and then land on the other side of a cliff without being hurt – even though you have no physical evidence that you can do that, this this becomes a matter of blind faith, of of uh, of faith with no substance behind it, and and that's the thing. You know, I'm not I'm not slamming anybody who's religious. I'm not slamming anybody who's an atheist. But if you're confident in the evidence that that causes you to have the faith then there's really no reason to get angry about it when when that evidence is challenged 
if you're really confident in what you believe and somebody presents evidence contrary to that or presents a method of testing your evidence, then you should be, if you're confident, you should be willing to say, yeah, I'm seeking the truth and therefore show me, you know, test this. Let's try that. Rather than getting angry like, why won't you believe what I believe? That Because that doesn't convince anybody of anything. Confidence convinces people more so than anger, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. Well, that's, I think that's, that's definitely true. And, you know, something I've noticed, um, after that video, it kind of got some attention of some like skeptic groups and stuff like that. And I was contacted, I, uh, by some people that run this, uh, chemtrail sort of debate Facebook group, but it's basically skeptics that make fun of chemtrail people. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and anyway, I, I was following this for a little while, but you know what's interesting is that – you know, I think one of the problems we have is that the skeptics, you know, the people that call themselves skeptics in general are also – or many of them fully believe in the legitimacy of the state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're quick to dismiss, you know, chemtrails because there's a lack of evidence, but then, you know, just to, to – they're, they're also, you know, they're, they'll post stuff like, um, you know, look, they're homeschooling. <laughs> Those crazy chemtrail people, they believe in homeschooling. Can you believe how ridiculous? Um, you know, I think that's part of our problem. It's like, well, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're libertarians or anarchists or whatever you want to call it, you know, but we're also skeptical, you know. I consider it. I'm a I'm an anarchist because I am skeptical, right? You know? Right. But uh, somehow the majority of skeptics don't don't take it one step further. I don't know where that comes from. That's kind of like what you were talking about. Like if we could examine ourselves from the outside, if we could see ourselves from a different point of view, what kind of things would we find that we believe that are you know that are silly? Uh, that's kind of an odd thought. But the more you self-examine, I think, I think the the better you are uh, in in the ability to to think logically and to think skeptically and to use critical thinking skills. I at least would like to think so. You know, I'm I'm sure we all have our our biases. You know, you know, I see confirmation bias in other people all the time. Right. <laughs> but I assume I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's ta- let's touch on a couple of their their pieces of evidence they have the um somehow there's this magic number and and they can't quite agree on what this magic number is but it's the magic time limit as to how long a contrail will last without breaking up as opposed to a chemtrail and this is it seems to me this is entirely an arbitrary number that they just pull out of somewhere dark and nasty and they just say, you know, if it lasts longer than eight minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever their magic number is, it's got to be a chemtrail. And I look at that and I think, you know, first off, that's not evidence of any kind because you made up a fa- uh, because you made up a phantom number and you just decided, you know, or because the guy who told you about this story made up a number and just decided that's your evidence? That's the best you have? 
because I have, you know, I've been um, at engine testing sites. I used to work for General Electric Aircraft Engines and a lot of other uh, aerospace companies. So I've been at uh, engine testing sites where a, a brand new jet engine that we're doing all kinds of tests on is, uh, and I've watched it assembled and I see what it's being fed and I know all the details of what is in front of me and I know what we're testing for and, you know, the whole the whole thing is all in a controlled setting. And I have been in Peebles, Ohio, where they have uh, – there's other test sites too that I've been at. But specifically in Peebles, they have uh, – it's way off remote in the in the woods. And they have some engines set up there that they run tests on. And I've been up there on mornings where the atmosphere was perfect for fog. And they've kicked on an engine to do some testing, and it just fills a whole valley with fog. And it's it's contrail, you know. It's this it's the the compressed air and water vapor and residual fuel that's coming out of the exhaust of that of that test engine, and just fills this little valley um, with fog. I mean, that's it's still a contrail. It's all located in one spot because you know there's an inversion layer that holds it right into that valley. And I've seen an engine fired off at like six o'clock in the morning, and at noon. That valley is still filled with fog because there's no wind and there's an inversion layer holding it down. And the sun, there's you know clouds that day so it doesn't have direct sunlight onto the fog. And it just sits there in that valley for hours and hours and doesn't go anywhere. And it's hard to drive through and it's all man-made. It all came right out of that one jet engine. And so this whole idea that you can tell whether a, a, a contrail is a contrail or a chemtrail based on how long that it sits in the sky, is ridiculous on its face. And to anybody who knows anything about the industry, it's laughable. It's just, it's it's logically ridiculous. I mean, you know, how hard is it to understand that that humidity level changes? <laughs> yeah. And is it that crazy? I mean, do, do you need a, a PhD in something to understand that humidity is not constant in the universe? <laughs> Temperature is not constant in the universe. Air pressure is not constant in the universe. Why is that so so hard to figure out? I think what's sad about this particular myth is, you know, you know, we you mentioned that you thought that the girl in the debate was was genuinely sincere, and you know, she may or may not be. I I don't know, but a lot of people keep repeating that, and they know it's not true. Yeah, because it's been debunked a thousand times, a, a million times over and over again. And and they're still passing it around like, you know, you need to know this so you can you can figure it out as if it's true when when people know it's not true. And, you know, you mentioned that picture of that of that tank inside an airplane. Um, I've seen other pictures where they they have like a ballast system while they're testing an aircraft that simulates different passenger configurations. And instead of bringing in, you know, 300 people and having them change seats, they have these tanks and they can just pump water from one side to the other. Um, and it's a very convenient way to test different load configurations inside the plane. And, and of course, that is shared as evidence, although it's been, you know, it's it's you can do, you know, one shift click and Google an image search for any of these things, yeah. uh, you know, yep. and you can see immediately but they're still sharing it. It doesn't stop it. And if anybody is a believer in chemtrails and they're sincere, 
and they're listening to this, I would say, look, the first thing you need to do is you need to get on these people. You need to let them – you need to police your own. Yeah. You need to start getting rid of this BS that's that's – you know, that's clogging up your channel. No one's going to take you seriously when 99% of what's coming out is that kind of garbage. So if you're a believer, you know, don't, don't leave it up to, to the skeptics to dismiss this stuff. Get rid of it yourself. I think this is really important, not only for the chemtrail argument, but this goes with almost every conspiracy theory. You know, whether you're talking about a 9-11 conspiracy theories or you're talking about, uh, you know, Oklahoma City bombing or you're talking about the Kennedy assassination or, you know, I, I don't know where to draw the line on each one of these. I'm pretty sure that it wouldn't be difficult to make an argument that pretty much all of them are were originally a conspiracy. In other words, one or more people sat down and planned it out ahead of time. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. So, of course, it's a conspiracy. But then the question becomes, okay, but who were the primary conspirators? Who else knew about it? Who knew and didn't do anything? Who knew and supported them? Who knew and, and you know, supplied technical knowledge or uh, cover stories? or So then it begins to expand out. But like you're saying... If you're going to be portraying this thing to, in a serious manner, then it's up to the people who are portraying the theory to get rid of the quacks and to get rid of the silly nonsense and the stuff that's easily debunked. Stop supporting that, and and you'll have a lot better opportunity to to convince somebody who, you know, maybe there's somebody who actually loads this stuff into planes, that is afraid to come forward because he's going to look like a nut. But maybe if the argument were clearer and there was self-policing among those supporting the argument, maybe it might encourage that guy to come out and tell the truth. And, you know, we don't know because that's all in theory. But like you're saying, it, it, to just continue to throw out really bad arguments uh, doesn't help any of us. It makes all of because because like you're saying, uh, that'll be used for um, uh, let's say for homeschoolers. Uh, there somewhere, someplace, at some time, I'm sure somebody has said, well, homeschooling is hokey because lots of those people believe in chemtrails. This guilt by association goes in all directions. You know, the, those liberty people are wacky because so many of them believe in chemtrails. And it discredits the whole thing, whereas if there is some cleansing that takes place to the argument and you get rid of the wacky stuff, then you might be able to actually get to what is real evidence on this. Absolutely, and especially for, for liberty advocates. I mean the government is is bragging about doing so many heinous things. I mean they're not hiding it. They're advertising it and giving themselves medals for doing it. We've got enough – to point at and be outraged and and show show the failures and immorality of government without having to manufacture these hypothetical things that we're imagining they're doing. Um, what's the point? Yeah, um, boy, is there any other really big points on it that we could pick out? We've we talked about testing air. Oh, here's another one. Um, no matter what anybody might say. No, it just doesn't matter what anybody might say. Standing on the ground, you cannot tell what the elevation is 
of a vapor trail that you see in the air or a plane flying by. And if there are two planes flying over top of your head at the same time or roughly the same time, you cannot tell the elevation of them or what their elevation is proportion to each other. So you could have two planes, one flying at 50,000 feet, the other plane, plane flying at 30,000 feet. They could pass by each other, and it looks like they're inches apart, and they're still, what did I say? So 20, they're still 20,000 feet from each other. But from your perspective on the ground, you can't tell the difference. The human eye, because of the distance our eyes are set apart from each other, this gives us uh, the ability to tell how far apart objects are. It gives us three-dimensional vision by having two eyes set apart a few inches from each other. But because of the distance involved, that only gives the human the ability to tell the distance of things that are only out there, you know, about a couple hundred yards. That's all our eyes are physically able to to tell the distance. So, so literally, it's about the distance that you would spot a lion if he's coming at you. You would be able to tell, oh, that's a lion and he's coming at me. I can tell by proportion of where the trees are, where the grass is, and his his direction, he's getting bigger, he's coming at me. I can see that for a couple hundred yards. But if you go beyond that, the human eyes are not either, according to your argument, they're not designed or they're not evolved to have that proportionate uh, distance recognition out past a couple hundred yards because it's just not necessary within the within the you know however long humans have been here it has not been necessary to see that proportion further than a couple hundred yards so we don't have the capability to tell what is forty thousand feet what is fifty thousand feet what is sixty thousand feet you can't tell you just can't tell and to lie to yourself and tell yourself something different is just being self-delusional. Well, that, that's the truth. And that, that is always the final argument when, when pressed. The guys say, dude, just look at the sky. <laughs> that, that's the final argument before they give up and, and, and huff off, um, you know, go off in a huff. It's, dude, look at the sky. That, you know, I know it didn't look like that when I was a kid. I, oh, that's I, a good one. Yeah. They always say that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I feel for these guys. Um, you know, I, I love a good conspiracy like anybody else. <laughs> I'm, I'm open-minded. I, you know, I, I, you know, I'd be the first person to be yelling about it if I just had a, sh a shred of evidence. So yeah, you do. And one more time, I just want to emphasize that trying to use the evidence that the, the government is evil. They have, they have done horrible things before. You know, there's, there's actual, hard physical evidence that the United States government and the English government back in the 50s and 60s actually did spray chemicals on their own population. They they sprayed uh, um, some kind of a biological agent, if, if I recall. the I can't remember the exact details. But they but there's actual evidence that they did this. And then they, you know, um, measured the air patterns to see how far it distributed. And they they did this in St. Louis. They did it in uh, um, one other one other city in the U.S. I can't remember. Maybe it was like Milwaukee or somewhere. And I think they may have done it in Florida. And there's physical evidence of this in the sense that, you know, um, 
Freedom of Information Act uh, uh, studies have been and have been done and pulled out information and, and it's right there. It's documented that they did it. And in uh, uh, London, they did it. Uh, the English government did it in London and some other I can't remember what other city. And there's actual documentation of it. And the government can't deny it because they did it. And, and the evidence is right there. But then to leap from that and say, therefore, chemtrails is as big a, a, a leap as saying, you know, uh, um, the vice president, uh, who was Lyndon Johnson at the time, there's evidence to associate him with the death of John F. Kennedy. Therefore, the moon landings are fake. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's that kind of a leap. It's that well, ridiculous. You know what? I, how about the one where they say, look, here's a weatherman on TV talking about radar chaff. Yeah. <laughs> See, even it's even on TV. It, they're showing you that their government's releasing stuff out of planes. Therefore, chemtrails. <laughs> I mean, or that's that's in G. Edward Griffin's movie. Amazing. I mean, that's not just this like Internet talk. That's somebody who's taken seriously. That is amazing. You know, the other thing that they'll tend to do, this is not not I'm not saying this just against the chemtrail people. I'm saying this about people who try to intentionally falsify an argument. One of the things they'll do is uh, they'll they'll interview an expert and they'll do like a half an hour, 45 minute interview with the expert and they'll pick out like one line and they'll quote that one line. Um, and the expert may not even know that the so-called documentary is on this weird topic. The expert may think I, – I, uh, an example of this is with the Greenbackers. There's a Greenbacker movie um, called The Secret of Oz or something like that, and it's just a collection of lies and trash. But in it, um, Peter Schiff is quoted – and I'm not sure that they sat down with Peter Schiff first and said, look, this is the Greenbacker idea. This is what we believe. We'd like for you to talk about it. And then got Peter Schiff to give them the, the quote that they wanted. I suspect if you sat down and talked to Peter Schiff, he's probably not a Greenbacker. But within the course of a half an hour interview, you can probably get a line or two out of him that you can twist around out of context and use it to support Greenbacker arguments. But then again... Uh, the the Greenbackers being different from the Chemtrail people, um, I I believe there are people who know the Greenbacker argument is fake and they are intentionally lying and they have a specific purpose behind what they're doing. The Chemtrails, I don't I don't, I, I don't I have a hard time imagining why somebody would do that, other than they just want to dis, uh, discredit all um, conspiracy theorists. Therefore, if they make up something utterly ridiculous, then they can point to it and they can say that's why 9-11 wasn't a conspiracy. That's why the moon landings were real. JFK was only shot by one guy with a rifle. And that's why you should believe every story that the government gives you as soon as they give it to you. The Boston bombing was real. The, 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 the lockdown was justified uh, after the Boston bombing. Um, there really were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And if we hadn't invaded Afghanistan, you'd be speaking Pashtun right now or whatever, you know? So so yeah. we're going to just come up with this really stupid thing that will discredit all other conspiracy theories and watch how these people accept it. 
It's possible. I'd like to see the evidence for that theory because it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's not possible, but but Jim, you know, look I, in the sky, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Can't you see it? <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. That's my favorite line, you know. (laughs) Just wake up, sheeple. Take the red pill or the blue one or whichever one it was. Oh man. There's a, there's a, a, uh, there's a guy who's written a book and I read this when it was in manuscript form years and years ago. The guy's been trying for a long time to get it published and he finally got it published. But in his theory is that, um, the entire peace movement and the entire sixties hippie movement and all of the stuff that, that you remember that's notable from the sixties and the early seventies was all, uh, contrived by the government to discredit the true uh, peace movement that uh, in the early 60s really threatened whether or not the United States would enter the Vietnam War. And um, and the guy makes a really convincing argument that the government essentially uh, manufactured and, and distributed LSD and other drugs for the express purpose of discrediting the uh, the peace movement. And he comes up with this really good argument for all of this, and he has lots of facts, and he puts lots of people, and he ties them all together, and he does this really good job of sewing this whole thing together, except when he first wrote it, it was during the 80s, during the, uh, I don't know if you recall this or not, Jim, but there was a time in the 80s when the media was seeing these uh, these devil-worshipping rings pop up all over the place that abuse children, systematically abuse children. And the only way to find this out was to hypnotize the children and get them to relive, you know, this this terrible trauma. And this was the thing that was sweeping the, the news people in the 80s. It was the main story that all the news people wanted to talk about. And then it turns out the whole thing was pretty much 99% a hoax. It didn't really happen. It was all hype. It was like... You know, oh, the it's shark week. The sharks are attacking. Sharks are eating everybody. Okay, well, the truth is there's no more shark attacks this week than last week. Oh, it's the Dobermans. The Dobermans are, are you know, running wild throughout the country. They're eating children, and then it turns out, nah, it's not such a big issue. Oh, it's the Rottweilers. The Rottweilers are the dog that's going to kill everybody. Not that big of an issue. Oh, it's the pit bulls. The pit bulls are going to eat everybody. As it turns out, not so bad. And and that child molestation ring theory was super big in the 80s. And that's when this guy wrote this book about the 60s. And so he has all this stuff laid out that the peace movement was, was discredited by the government pumping drugs in free LSD for all the hippies. And it seems to make so much sense. And then he comes up with this this time-specific conspiracy theory that it's all based on these devil-worshipping child molestation rings. And, and it's like, all right, you just, you just took everything that you said about the government planting drugs among the hippies, and you threw it all away in you know all the legitimacy you had in that argument. You just threw it all away, and I begin to see that you're just a nut, and you see a conspiracy behind everything. And as much as I would like to believe that the whole hippie thing was distorted by the government feeding, you know, low cost drugs into the into the thing to make it worse than it really would have been. As much as I'd like to believe that, because you've tainted the argument with this thing that's so easily debunked, you know, how can I believe it? How can I believe 
80% of what you say and then take the main part and and realize that that's fake. And, I, and I, I'm kind of worried that there are people in the liberty movement that are doing that with 9-11, they're doing that with chemtrails, and there may be some truth in there somewhere, but they're fogging it with so much crap that it that it illegitima, illegitimizes, that it takes away all legitimacy from anything that people are saying that might be real. I, I agree, and I don't think it takes a conspiracy for that to happen. I think it you know, comes down to just an individual need that people have to want to believe you know, perhaps it's they want to believe in what they were taught in school, in what they see on the news. They want to believe this because to, to come to the realization that your your 12 years of government education was a lie and what you see on TV is a lie and the Hollywood propaganda and the movies is to manipulate you. People want to say, no, that can't be true. So it would be very easy to based on that emotional need to, to try to sabotage other conspiracy theories just based on that alone, based on their emotional need to want to believe the 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 biggest lies. So, you know, who, who knows what the truth is? But if we can, uh, you know, at least come at come at everything with saying, look, we, we you know, we're going to make our decision based on reason and evidence and observation and, you know, repeated analysis you know, if that's just part of our, our, our just daily life, you know, perhaps we can defend against this stuff. Yeah. And, and I think to a large extent, you know, the, the more we can learn critical thinking skills, the more we can understand how logic works, and the more we can look at things skeptically and self-evaluate what we believe. What do, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? Is that legitimate? And and just exercise your brain and and force yourself to question things. You know, um, was Daniel Boone really the kind of a guy that we're told that he was? Um, and and then you know, was George Washington really the kind of guy that we're told that he was? And whatever your particular flavor is in this whole thing that you like, maybe it's not history. Maybe it's you know is. Uh, are the societal norms that we're taught, are they really that important? Is it is marriage, is marriage really, you know, we hear all the time, marriage is supposed to be one man and one woman. Maybe that's true. Maybe with critical thinking, we can come to the conclusion that that is actually the truth. But maybe not. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe that it's important for one man and one woman to make up a marriage? How come you can't have one man, one woman, one tree, and one goat? What, explain to me why. Well, that's immoral. No. Splinters. Split. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Splinters and goat poop. There you go. <laughs> but see, now that's okay. Now you actually are looking at, at physical reasoning here. You, you know, you're taking the thing apart and you're saying, you know, here's why it's not a good idea, you know. But I, but I think the more things that we examine like that, because, you know, picking on marriage, if you're going to make the, the argument, well, what is moral, well, then what are you basing that on? Is it based on some kind of biblical thing? Is it a traditional thing? Is it a Western culture? Um, because, you know, there's lots of people in the Bible that had lots of wives. Well, why not then have one woman with a bunch of husbands? I mean, you know, it, 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 take it apart and see is is what you believe 
Is it based on just what you were taught? Is it based on reality? Is it based on facts? Is it based on tradition? Is it based on just, you know, culture? Is it, is it real? Is it, is it founded in something that actually makes sense? Or is it based on what you hope to be real? Good advice. <laughs> well, we should, we should probably, uh, I think we've picked on these people probably as hard as we can. Did we cover all the main points that they believe about chemtrails? I think so. You know, the, the one thing that I, one other thing that I'll try to point out real quickly is that, you know, you, you get to their motivations. Well, why are these people spraying? Well, there's, it seems to be two camps. One, it's uh, geoengineering to try to cool the earth and combat global warming. The other is they want to poison us all and reduce the population to a more manageable size. Okay. When you hear somebody making both of those arguments at the same time, run away. <laughs> they want to save humanity and kill it at the same time, right? Yeah, they will. People will actually intertwine both arguments into their into their narrative at the same time, um, and that's that should be a clue that something's just not quite right. Now, how I'm kind of curious about this. Let's assume that, just for the sake of discussion, let's assume that they that chemtrails are real, and let's assume the motivation in doing this is to dumb down or to kill part of the population or to make them sterile or there's there's different aspects of this according to who's telling the story. But um, so let's say they're spraying over Phoenix, let's say, because there's a good place with nice big open skies where, uh, you know, where these so-called chemtrails can last for hours and hours at a time. And they seem to have the checkerboard pattern appearing there that these people are fascinated with, uh, in spite the fact that they don't actually know what, you know, what essentially that there are highways in the sky where, where planes fly. But all that aside, so we have, so in our scenario, we have actual chemicals being sprayed in a checkerboard pattern over Phoenix. And does that mean that Phoenix is the one place on earth that you can go that there's absolutely not going to be any of these evil conspirators that are behind this chemical spraying or are they spraying themselves or are they immune? Did they take shots that, that keep them immune to it? I mean, how, how is it going to spray in Phoenix and not affect other people in other areas, you know, where, where the evil conspirators are hiding out in their lair? Do they, do they live under the ocean or something? Oh, that's a that's a good question. See, I think only the reptilian overlords have have all the information, and it's these pilots are just being duped into spraying their own families. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. So, so the so the evil pilots and the evil people who load the planes and the evil all these evil people who are the maybe, maybe they're all just robotically hypnotized by uh, by sixties drugs and. and abused as children and that's that's how they're uh that's how they're zombie like flying these airplanes and spraying these chemicals and they and they just follow orders maybe that's part of it or we could at least we could at least add that to the conspiracy and you know it wouldn't be any more fantastic than the rest of the theory you might have just started a whole new genre of these <laughs> of these myths so careful oh my well, Jim, we should probably wrap it up. I don't, I don't know if there's anything more we can, you know, anybody who believes the chemtrails who's lasted through listening to this whole thing is probably really either really angry at us right now, or there's that one little thing that we didn't cover, therefore chemtrails, you know, 
because um, that seems to be the thing. It's like you have to debunk every single aspect of this. Otherwise, the answer is chemtrails. Well, well I'm sure you're going to hear from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd put money on it. Well, Jim, is there any anything you want to give a shout out for any any? Uh, you know what? I should mention uh, in case people don't know. I made the assumption in the early part of this that people know who you are, and I should have given an explanation. Jim, ha- folks, Jim has been in this uh, in this thing of ours for a long time. He's done critical work uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, Jim, you were back in the in years ago. You were doing a filming of when the police, uh, the the gentleman's name escapes me at the moment, but the guy that was really got famous for doing the the uh, jury outreach stuff and the jury nullification stuff, and you were one of the people they were filming him as the cops were roughing him up and doing all kinds of illegal things to try to keep him from doing. Um, from spreading the information for the the juries, you were doing that way back in the day. Yeah, um, uh, that's that's kind of true. I think you're maybe referencing Julian Heichlin, professor yeah, Ju- yeah. Professor Julian Heichlin, who's one of my um, definitely one of my heroes um, and the person that kind of got me interested in jury nullification. Uh, definitely had some adventures in that department, and um, you know, I we we have so much going on around the Philadelphia area there's always a, a neat variety of 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 liberty activism available and we have so many great people um you know some are conspiracy people and they're and they're you know they're my good friends i you know we all get along um anarchists libertarians you know even some constitutionalists can that can put up with this are always welcome to participate so uh, Philly's got a great community of folks, and it's it's really a pleasure to to work with them on on a wide range of projects. Is there any specific uh, websites or anything you want to give a shout out for? Um, well, let's see. Right now, um, we're we're working on a billboard campaign for jury nullification. We just launched a new one in Phoenix in a at a train station near the court complex there, uh, promoting jury nullification. And I, I'm trying to get additional billboards going in other cities right now. We started in D.C. last October, um, and with, there's a couple others in the works right now. Um, if people visit freedomsphoenix.com and go to the funding center, they can see the link and, and support that and my, all my contacts info. My contact info is in there. So uh, if folks want to get something going in their town, uh, I'd be more than happy to work with anybody. And I should just clarify too, because I've been really critical of of doing stuff that involves, you know, trying to get the government to do stuff for you. Whether it's, you know, trying to get the government to make laws more comfortable, or trying to get the government to do this or that 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 you think would bring more or less liberty or whatever. Um, jury nullification enters into a really interesting uh, thing because you're not really trying to get the government. To do something, you're you're trying to show people who are going to essentially be kidnapped and forced to be on a jury. You're tr- you're trying to show them that look, you on an individual basis can make a statement for freedom, and you can you can make a statement for liberty by simply be you know owning yourself and making your own decision, and don't let yourself just be convinced to go along because this is what the law says. And it's it's really, you know, I, I would try everything I could to avoid being on a jury because to me that's just like being in jail. On the other hand, 
if you if you're going to be on a jury anyway and you know you can't get out of it or you don't uh, or you, or you're not doing anything else that day or whatever this is a a great opportunity to just poke your thumb right in the government's eye and they can't do squat about it because you're actually obeying their stupid laws that's the truth i mean it's it's i don't think it's a a strategy that's going to have any long-term change of society but it can it can save some people from going to jail that shouldn't be there yeah and that's why i put my time into it because i feel like you know what if i keep one guy out of jail one guy goes back to his family instead of into a cage that's incredibly rewarding i mean that's worth quite a bit of my time right there so um you know i i measure it that way it's like you know how many you know we we a lot of libertarian activism is sort of about like freeing minds and educating people but this is, you know, this is saving asses. This is, this is, this is a direct impact. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's something that's really important that people know they have that opportunity, especially as, as we see things are getting crazier. You can go to jail for, for raw milk or collecting your own rainwater or, you know, some of the most absurd things, gardening in your front yard, um, you know, carrying, you know, having an uh, an inanimate object, then crossing into a state line where they disapprove of that. Um, it's they're getting crazier with who they're willing to to persecute. So as they get get crazier, this this power becomes more important. There was a case recently that took place. Well, I shouldn't say recently. It's been actually a couple of years since this happened, but I know some of the details on it, and uh, I'll just throw this out really quick. For people, there, there's this guy, and uh, he was an Ohio resident, and he had previously he had had uh, he he had attempted to make meth on his own, and ended up getting busted, probably because somebody ratted him out. But but one way or the other, he he got arrested and uh, tried and convicted of attempting to make meth. And so he spent like, it wasn't a lot, but it was like two years in jail or something over this. And then he got, he got, he got out and he had, you know, according to their terminology, he had served his time and so forth, which is, which is really, uh, I, I could do an hour just talking about the nonsense and the idea that, that you serve time. And, but anyway, so he got out of jail was, a t- he actually was trying to get a job and getting a job when you've been convicted of, you know, making meth, uh, it's not that easy to get a job. But he's trying to get a job. He's trying to live. And at one point, um, he was being watched constantly by the local police. I mean, they they just knew that if things go bad enough for this guy, at some point, he's going to go back into drugs again. And, and, but on the other hand, he's given almost nothing else as a possibility because nobody will hire him because he's a convicted felon that was making meth and it was all over the newspapers in the local little town that it was in. Everybody knew his name. So it's very difficult for him to ever make a living again. So the cops are watching him and they're watching him and they're watching him. And they uh, they actually had a plant, uh, a person, you know, a, 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 a narc, um, sell him some meth at an extremely discounted price. So they knew he had meth and they watched him put it in his trunk. So they knew he had the meth and they knew he had it in his trunk. And they were following him across town and they waited until he got into a school zone. And then the cops pulled him over and claimed that he had made a, a turn without a turn signal. Whether he had or not, he wasn't really sure of this. But they pulled him over in a school zone 
and they use one excuse after the other, got a dog out, sniffed his car. Sure enough, they now they can open the trunk. They find the meth. Now they've got him arrested as a felon who who already has a, a, a record of making meth. Now they've got him with a sellable portion of, of meth, so now they can get him for trafficking. And he's in a school zone, which means he's in front of the school on the street where they happen to pull him over. Now when this goes to the jury... All the jury finds out is that the cops pulled him over. Uh, he seemed suspicious, so they got a, a drug dog. The drug dog flagged the, the trunk. They opened the trunk. He, bingo, he's got drugs in a school zone. Therefore, he, you know, you put it into the jury's mind, he's selling meth to children. And the jury doesn't hear the entire story. The jury hears only the story that the judge allows. And the judge wants this guy to go to jail. And so the, even if you're sitting on a jury and you think you're hearing the whole story, realize you're only hearing the aspect of the story that the judge wants you to hear. And wherever the judge has already decided in his mind that he wants the, the trial to go, that's the direction it's going to go. Because he is the one who allows the defense to bring up any information. He's the one that allows the, the prosecutor to bring up any information. And if he doesn't want that information brought up, he says no, and they can't do much about it. And your average uh, defense attorney is not going to dig any deeper than he absolutely has to. And for the average poor person who has to go with a public defender, he really doesn't have much of a chance. So if you're stuck on a jury anyway... Why not take a, take that opportunity? Don't believe anything they're telling you. Take that opportunity and turn the person loose because you don't know what they've got him to admit to in order to get to the charges that they've got. You know, it may have been something totally different that, that got him brought, you know, that got him arrested to begin with. And then they, they sort of backward engineered the, the things that he's charged with. Did that make any sense? Oh, absolutely. I, I've seen it myself. I've, I've attended enough trials that to see that in action. And you want to also mention that the quality of human being that ends up on a jury is is not necessarily not necessarily the highest. Um, it's not really a uh, a jury of your peers. It's I mean, I mean, I've heard stories. A friend of mine was just on jury duty recently for a DUI case. And there was a lady on the jury says, well, if he wasn't guilty, they wouldn't have arrested him. You know, like that's that is that's the culture we're in right now where it's just assumed um, and everything about the process, you know, is revolves around the judge. This guy has a special costume. He sits up higher than everybody else. Everybody stands when he enters the room. He has a title of, of nobility or royalty. Um, there's this weird reverence that everybody must have for this guy in the black dress. And, you know, you get these people that, you know, the first thing they do is like, OK, what do I do? Who, what, who, where's my authority figure that I'm supposed to get my instructions from? Right. Must be that guy. Right. Yep. And so when he says stuff, I've, I've heard a judge tell the jury, um, now, don't go home and look up the law. I tell you what the law <laughs> is. I, that, that is a, a, virtually a direct quote from the judge at Larkin Rose's trial. Amazing. Okay. It is and and so much of the structure is based upon just keeping the jury in the dark for any kind of complex case. Mm -hmm. It's it's about 
that's that's all the that's that's all Larkin Rose's trial was when he challenged the IRS. It was the day after day of uh, of battling to let the jury get the, a slight the slightest shred of information that would have helped them decide the case fairly. Um, that's all they do. That's that's what it's all about. And I wouldn't have you know you could tell me that and I would believe you, but until I saw it with my own eyes. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand how completely corrupt this whole thing they call the justice system is. It is just total garbage. So, uh, you know, God help anybody that ends up in, in their clutches because it is, it is completely weighted in their favor at every turn. You know, let me throw this out too for liberty activists out there who are saying to themselves, you know, well, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and go to trial with this A, B, and C or whatever this topic is, or I don't care if I get arrested at doing this because, um, because I'll, I'll make sure that there's a jury nullification activity going on and I'll get, I'll get that, you know, in my trial. That's a huge risk you're taking. That's desperate. That is desperate. Even if you're in a community that knows a little something about this, I mean, it's 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 one thing to say if you're going to be stuck on a jury, man, do what you can to do the right thing. But it's completely the the other side of that to trust a jury with you know years of your life or worse. Uh, man, that's just that's a leap of faith that I could never take. I would do. Almost, I say almost with a big emphasis, I would do almost anything to keep from facing years in jail with my fate being held by, you know, old people and senile people and halfwits that couldn't figure out how to keep out of a jury. I would be terrified. And I know we're not supposed to be derogatory toward these people, but honestly, that's typically what you have is, you know, the bored housewife that does nothing but but uh you know watch soap operas and and hang around at her house all day and 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 uh chat with her friends on the phone and that's pretty much her whole life and so jury duty is interesting to her or the old retired person who who you know you get behind in uh in traffic and you just want to pull your hair out because they're driving half in two different lanes with their turn signal on and they're just sitting there 10 miles an hour under the speed limit that guy's going to be on a jury yeah and he's going into it thinking his job is to help them convict somebody. Yeah, he's, he's going to get they that They believe bad guy. that going in. Like, well, I got to help them convict. Yeah. Let's go. Yep. I'm doing my duty. Oh, you got a duty, all right, but oh, <laughs> crap. Jim, I sure appreciate your time today. You know, you're taking your time and uh, you're still on vacation, right? Uh, it's a working vacation, but uh, I've been broadcasting live from Southwest Harbor, Maine. Courtesy of the Wash Tub Laundromat's Wi-Fi. Thank you. <laughs> Put a little plug in for them. They got the best Wi-Fi on Mount Desert Island. <laughs> what a life you live. I uh, I really appreciate knowing you. You're a great guy. Anybody who is in the Philadelphia area and wants to get involved in activism, um, I think step one would be to get hold of Jim and see what you can do locally, see what's going on, because Jim's got his thumb, other than when he's on vacation for six months at a time, Jim's got his thumb on the heartbeat in, in Philadelphia, and he uh, he really knows what's going on there. Jim, thanks for your service. Thanks for your years of dedication to Liberty and for all you do. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, you're welcome, Ben. Thank you. And uh, I love, love the Bad Quaker podcast. Always, always look forward to every episode. So keep up your great work. I appreciate that. And folks, thanks for listening today. And remember to visit badquaker.com where liberty is our mission. Thank you very much, folks.